everyone, and welcome to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Eric Strickland, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you probably found us on iTunes or Google Play. If you had, make sure that after this episode you rate us. We'd love to get some positive ratings uh, and let us know what you like or maybe didn't like. Uh, also, make sure to follow us on our social media, on Twitter at NTSB, on Facebook at NTSB Gov, on LinkedIn at NTSB, and on Instagram at NTSB Gov. I think I got them all. We're, we're in a lot of places. There's conversations about Snapchat, but... I am still a little hesitant about that, so just you know, <laughs> check in with us later on that. Um, but this week, I'm excited to have uh, board member Bella Dinzar with us to talk about her history in transportation. Um, you know, you can find her detailed bio online, um, but we want to get a little bit deeper and, and to talk about her. Uh, uh, I'll put out a little edit, uh, editor's note, production note. I'm going to give a host note on this. I've actually known Member Denzar for many years. She worked with my wife uh, a few jobs ago. So it's a, it's kind of fun to see her now here at the hallways and to get to have this conversation with her. So thank you very much for joining us on Behind the Scene. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. It's it's very It seems very formal, but it's not. We're, <laughs> we're having a nice conversation here. But um, So how long have you been at the NTSB now? I've been at the NTSB since March of 2015. Okay. So a little over two years. And and before that, you were at the FIA Foundation doing international that's issues right. and the taking F- that. Yeah. That's right. It's a international philanthropy, and we work mostly with the United Nations on safe, sustainable surface transportation. So yeah. a lot of the same issues that we deal with at the NTSB. But just kind of a, a more international perspective. And I, I'll try to get to that a little bit later because I'm very curious about it because there's always conversations about how does the U.S. compare with other nations. And I think we can all learn from each other. Just like in the in the United States, we try to learn from each state, share ideas. I think we can do a lot of that at the international community and the international level as well. So we'll get back to that. But I wanted to start with something that I've actually always had kind of a, a curiosity about. So now I have an opportunity to ask you that. Public health. So you have a very solid public health background and a very solid transportation background. Those issues normally don't go together. It's it's they're now starting to, but you were one of the first that really merged it together. At least in my mind, I you you did that. Can you explain a your interest in the public health and how you combine it with the transportation and what all that kind of means? It's a loaded question. Sure, I, know. I will try. <laughs> that was a very complicated question, but uh, a good one. I probably have always been interested in public health, even before I really knew what it was. My whole family is in medicine. So my dad, my three brothers, they're all surgeons. Um, so you can feel sorry for me about that. But uh, <laughs> I- Thanksgiving dinner has to be interesting. Yes. The non-surgeon at the table. <laughs> Don't get to carve the turkey. <laughs> but we always talked about medicine and public health. And I didn't even really know that I was interested in public health. Um, I went to Paraguay when I was 16 to uh, help the communities there dig latrines and learn about sanitation. And that's a very typical public health thing to do. But even when I was there, transportation came into play because these kids who I was teaching about proper sanitation and their parents who I was teaching to build latrines, they had to get there. And we would walk along these uh, roads with large trucks that would come barreling along uh, next to us. And we'd have to jump into a ditch to get out of the way. And I thought, even then I was 16, I thought, that probably isn't right. And that probably isn't the best for our health. So I I guess to make a long story short, as I um, went to college and then to grad school and I was focusing on public health, I discovered that transportation is everything. It's uh, it in it influences everything Mm -hmm. and every aspect 
of transportation has something to do with public health. People don't always think about it, but as you said, they're starting to. Yeah. Both, I mean, in our country and in other countries. So, so that's actually really great because um, all the people I've been talking with over the years in each of the different areas, either in transportation or only in public health, they're starting to come together and work together. Yeah, because you can, you can take that public health approach. So you were digging ditches because there was a something was identified there as a reason to have either better, you know, drainage, better sewage runoff, something like that. But you were looking at the data from a public health perspective. Transportation, I think, is coming in that same way now, where you're looking at, you know, where are we having a high number of accidents and crashes? Where should we go look at it, and and why? And you know, uh, we talk a lot about the 94% of, of crashes are due to some uh, highway crashes are due to something that the driver does. It's a behavioral thing. Public health and it looks at the behaviors of people and how they interact with their environments, and, and transportation is doing that too. And so, you know, I've uh, over the years have, have participated in more meetings where that's been going on. And so, it's I think it's they they've always kind of had dual you know been doing kind of the same thing but now you're really combining it and you're getting more serious look at the public health aspects of of uh, safe transportation and as you said i think we're starting to see more parallels yeah um people are realizing that public health and transportation safety aren't that different and that we're using some of the techniques we may just be using slightly different terms but we're really in it for the same goal which is to make the world safer. Yeah, the the other individuals I've met that have been doing this were kind of pulled into transportation later after they started mm-hmm. their public health lives. Do you know if it's if there's programs out there or opportunities for someone to, you know, like we just said, dual track it, like do the public health transportation at the beginning of their careers rather than kind of mid-career being pulled into one or the other? Yeah, I think that, that uh, now there's a lot more cross-pollination. Yeah. And there are a lot of smart people at the CDC or at DOT and NTSB as well. Of, of course. Of course. The smartest are at the, the NTSB. I mean. <laughs> the best staff. <laughs> um, but in all of these different agencies, I think they're starting to realize that cross-pollination is good. Mm-hmm. And so we have public health um, students or young people studying public health going into transportation early on before, you know, they've really decided what to do with their careers. And then we have people in public health, like with the Epidemic Intelligence Service, for example, focusing on transportation issues. Um, And that has to do with injury prevention, which is what we do, Mm -hmm. but also it has to do with environmental factors related to transportation, like air quality and all of that. So I think there's a lot more interdisciplinary work, which is good. And I think that's going to really help um, advance both fields. So like a safer transportation system is better for the environment, which is then better for the neighborhoods that are involved. It goes into, you know, um, the walkability factor. It's, it's not just making a community safer to walk in. It's, it's, uh, enhancing it on, on multiple levels, sometimes unseen. And, you know, I know pedestrian safety is, is kind of, it's not a new issue, but it's getting a lot more attention because a lot more people are walking. A lot more people are, are, uh, riding their bicycles to, to work or to other activities. And people are waiting, you know, youth are waiting longer to get a driver's license. So they're not necessarily driving. So it's something that, that is becoming kind of a, not a concern, but it's something that everyone's really focusing on. It's, so it's kind of that public health aspect too. And in our farsightedness, of course, the NTSB were, we have a special investigation report on pedestrians. and I didn't even tell her. I didn't even pay you to say that. You didn't even <laughs> need a bullet on that. You knew that was coming. 
course. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, you know, all of us are walking more. I mean, I'm a pedestrian a lot of the time myself. And so it's personal and professional but, interest. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, we're all pedestrians at some point because right. that we always talk about that last mile trip from a transit or whatever, but it's that last hundred feet. You're going to be walking no matter where you are. And so it's something that we can kind of all relate to since, I mean, I I grew up in a rural state where I was driving when I was eight. And officially had a license at thirteen. <laughs> Please don't say that. So well, I know on a, on a farm it was it was you know you're supposed to be able to do that. But um, you know it's it's funny to me to think that um, youth are waiting longer. I couldn't wait to get that driver's license, but now they're waiting longer because they're I guess I don't want to say more educated, but more interested in other transportation systems is more available for non-drivers and they don't feel the need to have to do that. And they're more interested in the, the Viking, the Viking, the walking and the biking (laughs) and and the environmental impacts that it has. So like you said, it's not just a safe transportation route. It's, it's all the other aspects, the, the cleaner air, all those kind of things. There's a lot of different groups out there that are now working on that. And I think you're, you've been partnering with some of them to, to share and connect people so that they can kind of all talk. So it's not just a transportation person working on a, a, you know, a complete street idea. It's it's the public health people as well. Right. I mean, I think it's a it's a continuum. I mean, we're all going to ride in cars at some point. We're going to yeah. take buses. We're going to ride our bikes. We're going to walk. But I mean, it is a change because, like you, I got my driver's license when I turned sixteen mm-hmm. on my birthday, and uh, my brother. I mean, we grew up in Texas. Got his even younger because he had a hardship license. Oh. Um, so now it is a little bit different, and I think it's good that uh, younger people, they feel like they have options to get around. And I hope maybe they'll, they'll be more aware of how they can get around safely too. Yeah. Is this view of holistic transportation with the public health aspect, are you seeing that internationally more? Uh, I mean, is there one part of the, of the world that's doing it a little bit better than others or is taking more advantage of it? I guess not better, but taking better advantage of of the merging of it, or is it something that the states is trying to pioneer and then maybe help shop out? Because mm. um, I don't, I don't talk to uh, many colleagues internationally about this, so I don't know if it's going anywhere else. But I do know that more states are trying to bring in uh, the public health aspect into their transportation. That's that's a good question. Maybe um, unlike the other modes, because clearly, you know, the United States and the NTSB. I mean, we have a lot of. A lot to offer other countries related to accident investigation of aviation, yeah. for example. Um, but other countries have been looking at other forms of transportation for, you know, surface transportation uh, to get around. Uh, maybe a little bit uh, before we have. I mean, mm-hmm. in working with the United Nations and some of these countries around the world, countries that are you might not expect, like Brazil, they have a very they're working on evolving their bus rapid transit system uh, yeah. to get people around. Uh, maybe part of it is because they, you know, not everyone can own a car, uh, and that's true in this country, but certainly true sure. in some of these developing countries. And so, in my previous work, we were trying to help them with that because not only does it help the environment and it helps people get around who might not be afford, able to afford their own vehicle, but it also, uh, in some cases, could help stop that deadly learning curve, which oh. happens when. You know, a lot of vehicles come on the road um, with a lot of novice drivers Mm -hmm. and the roads aren't prepared for them. So it's I mean, as we said, you know, a lot of it is driver behavior, but it's also the infrastructure uh, that is set up to absorb 
and um, be forgiving yeah. of all of those drivers and sometimes new drivers who are on the road. So we saw that a lot. I mean, there are many places where people were starting to buy cars and they hadn't uh, yet learned how to drive. Yeah. So they would have it delivered to their house and then learn to drive um, in some places like China, for example. Wow. Um, but, uh, but you're right. I think some countries, especially in certain parts of Europe, they're looking at other um, you know, ways to promote you know, more bicycling, more walking, uh, more use of public transportation, yeah. and just making it you know, a safe and easy alternative. Yeah, and so in some of those countries, too, they've had, you mentioned bicycling and going around. It's been part of their culture for a long time, but they also have scooters and smaller, smaller vehicles. Is there the same educational or aspect around riding a, a, a low CC motorcycle or scooter as there is for like a vehicle? It's a serious thing. You get a driver's license in other countries, but not, I get the impression it's not as big of a deal. Like a scooter is a scooter. You don't need to wear a helmet. You know, you do think just get the scooter and go. And you see what their infrastructure looks like with those pictures that we've all seen online of, you know, 14 million scooters in one city block as they're going down. I mean, is there anything surrounding that? Or is a scooter just kind of thought of as just something that everyone should have and you just have it and there's there's no safety surrounding it? Well, you're right, because in some countries, like the country where I was born, which is Vietnam, it, the scooter is a family car. Yeah. So you might have two, three, four, six, eight people, can you believe it, yeah. <laughs> on a scooter. And it's, it's as you said, uh, it's an affordable way of getting around and there are not as many rules um, and licensing related to it. But I think many of these countries where scooters are, you know, just used so frequently, I think they're starting to see that, oh, we've got all this traumatic brain injury yeah. being um, you know, admitted to our hospitals and, you know, there, there are things we can do about it and that the roads aren't necessarily built uh, as well for scooters. So there are a lot of programs and um, some of those were the ones we worked with um, when I, in my previous work with mm -hmm. uh, the United Nations. And that was to educate people, but then also provide things like affordable uh, helmets so that people could have access to that. Yeah. And so to educate them to use it, but then also provide ones that are crash tested, but, you know, won't break the bank. But, you know, I mean, uh, there are so many different types of helmets out there for, I remember, you know, you used to be able to ride a bicycle and not wearing a bike helmet. Just as long as you put something on your head, everyone thought you were okay. But now we're realizing, yeah, it should be designed to protect you because traumatic brain injuries, are, they sneak up on you. You know, it may not happen the first time you fall down, but the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you're going to start to do damage. And I think, as you said, some of these countries are starting to notice this. And uh, here in the States, I know that it's it's something we've been looking at too. And I know you just traveled uh, uh, back to Vietnam. I did. And I'm hoping you wore a helmet when you rode. Or, did you ride scooters around? I did. I rode a motorcycle and I had a helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I rode a lot of things. <laughs> um, uh, sorry to make staff nervous about that <laughs> wrote a lot of vehicles on land sea and air so um you're testing all the modes out. Yes, that, that can't be you wrong know, i think i think it's good right good experience but uh but no i did uh of course i wore a helmet i always wear a helmet just like yeah. i always wear a seatbelt. but i think uh it's interesting to see that not so long ago um on my last visit for mm -hmm. example uh, more than a decade ago people weren't wearing helmets and now it's almost universal that people are wearing helmets. I mean, it's you know probably ninety percent. And yeah. uh, the Vietnamese government has seen that there's been a decrease in the uh, 
the um, cost because of fewer hospital admissions. Yeah. So they've, they've actually saved money by promoting these these helmet efforts. Of course, as you said, there's all different kinds of yeah. helmets. I mean, in some places, um, we've heard of where they put watermelon uh, rinds on their heads and oh. called those uh, helmets. I mean, uh, in, in some parts of the world. Yeah. And so, you know, but these, I mean, you know, you actually have to have that interior foam energy yeah. absorbent part. And sometimes it's just the shell. So, I mean, we still have a ways to go, I think, around the world, but uh, at least the conversation is starting and people at least know that, you know, helmets are good. Yeah. Oh. Do you think it's a generational thing? Like mm. this younger generation has heard about it and so they're now going to be wearing helmets because I kind of see the same thing in the States, you know. With seatbelts, right? With seatbelt use, yeah. We're, we're 90% over 90% observed seatbelt use rate during the day. I always want to know what that nighttime is because we always talk about the during the day seatbelt use rates. The other people in the room are just looking at me. I shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, so that's a generational thing that we're looking at here. And it does, is that what it takes? It's hard, you know, what a, getting people to pick it up is hard, but the newer, the younger generation, they just think of it as the norm and they just kind of go with it. That's probably part of it because... I mean, as you know, your kids probably would not get in the car without putting on a seatbelt. That's yeah. very, and that's just or a habit. Or even a car seat. They right. think it's weird when they see, you know, older kids who have grown out of it, but don't have a car seat. It's weird that they're not in a car seat or even the booster. You're like, yeah. how can that be? Because they're always in this pretty cool. It's got cup holders on each side. Right. It's got all these <laughs> fancy things. I mean, who wouldn't want to get in a car seat with that? Yeah. And I think that's part of it. I think it's, you know, just making it sort of a habit. And, you know, it's something that um, they wouldn't think of not doing. And I mean, that's, that's the improvement of safety culture, you know, yeah. that we've, we've been able to do um, with that, with getting people to realize that having um, car seats or some type of child passengers uh, restraint system is important. And yeah. I think that's the same thing with helmets. I think people are starting to to realize that too. And, you know, as the new generation comes up, maybe it'll just be something that you always use, um, that you'll always, and maybe, you know, we hope that that's true about other things too. Like, yeah. um, you know, not drinking and driving and not using your phone while you're driving. And, well, and I think that's also the uh, public health aspects of it too. You get that education out there about the the reasons for it, which is kind of why I brought it up. It's all, it all ties together, the transportation and the public health and, and all of that. So was there a reason you didn't want to be a surgeon? You'd mentioned earlier, you know, <laughs> the brothers are also, any reason you didn't want to go in that part? I mean, you are a PhD, so yeah. everyone's a doctor yeah. on the table, but why not that doctor? <laughs> no, I actually like surgery. I, um, I would, <laughs> <laughs> not for myself, but I don't yeah. mind watching it. And uh, I actually used to volunteer in a uh, level one trauma center emergency oh, wow. room. So, uh, so that I kind of liked that part of it. Um, but I'm not sure. I, uh, I started learning more about public health and transportation. And I just really loved it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, my brothers, my three older brothers, because they're older brothers. Older they, brothers are the best. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> you must be one. Yes. Uh, they, uh, you know, they thought I was crazy. They said, oh, well, you know, you should definitely go. This is a family business. But I think now they realize that, um, you know, there are other ways. And they kind of joke about it now um, because uh, they were also in Vietnam. And we started this volunteer program in my dad's memory uh, in Vietnam to help train uh, people in Vietnam. Uh, and they always say, oh, yeah, you know, we we do save people one at a time. But Bella, I think, you know, she does them in hundreds or dozens <laughs> or thousands. And I say, well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, that's um, the goal. But, we can see if that happens. But, but yeah, so I think they uh, uh, now uh, they think, you know, little sister's not too bad. Yeah. So and I've heard you've mentioned this uh, 
and other opportunity, you know, other events and things. And there's kind of a story when you were presenting your master's thesis on transportation, right? And how it all, it's, to me, it's how small the world is. You're going to be presenting a story. Do you mind sharing that story? Do you mean when the I was one, in, in, the, in your, a car crash? Your car crash. Oh, you yeah. heard about that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's in a transportation, you're going to go on. And then the world gets very small. Yeah. So I was on my way to turn in my master's okay. thesis for my master's of public health. And it was on injuries related to problem drinking. Um, it And it had to do with a lot of things. Um, but a big part of it was transportation injuries, because obviously, drinking affects that. But it was also falls and, and other areas, um, violence. And I was driving in my... Uh, big red car. Um, I always own a big red car. <laughs> um, it's very noticeable and, by everybody. Yes. And uh, uh, I was driving uh, in Houston and a distracted driver, he mm. was um, doing something with his radio, they told me later, and also reaching back to get his uh, dry cleaning at the same time. And he pulled right in front of me. I had the right of way. I was going on a straight road. Mm-hmm. He was pulling out. And uh, unfortunately, he hit me and... Um, where I hit him, I guess he yeah. pulled in front of me. And then also another uh, woman who uh, was in another vehicle nearby. So it was a pretty serious crash. Yeah. And uh, thanks to, you know, the paramedics and emergency <laughs> responders, I'll always be grateful for them. Yeah. They came right to the scene. People, uh, other people were on the scene as well. And uh, I just remember saying, please save my thesis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and they said, yes, miss, please lie back and let's yeah. put this back race and <laughs> neck race on you and strap you in. But uh, to make a long story short, I um, somebody had called my brother um, because there weren't that many cell phones back then. Yeah. But a, you know, nice young businessman happened to stop by and called my brother who was in the operating room actually operating. So they put it overhead. Oh, wow. And so they put, you know, it on speaker and uh, and you know, because he wasn't used to seeing blood, he said, I'm with your sister. She's been in a crash and she's bleeding and it won't stop. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily my brother's very calm. And she said, well, he said, wherever it's bleeding, just press on it and bring her into the emergency room, which is where he was working. And so we came in and he finished his operation. He's finishing it up. And uh, he saw me in the emergency room. Oh, and, wow. uh, I didn't know, you know that part. Yeah. And so it was actually my own brother who saw me in the Ben Taub emergency room in Houston, Texas. Wow. When I was uh, was injured. But uh, but I think that gave me a, a good appreciation of, you know, these things can happen to anyone. And, and the poor lady who was with me in the ambulance. I mean, yeah. she wasn't even hit, but it was a result of this other person. And, uh, you know, we were luckily first responders, like I know you uh, do yourself for mm-hmm. your volunteer work, um, came and took us in and, you know, we were taken care of and, you know, I'm alive today and, yeah. and, and doing fine. So very um, thankful for yeah. that. And but... I had many, many months of physical therapy after that. But it is sort of uh, interesting that I was writing <laughs> a master's thesis yeah. about injury prevention. And then I, I was thought that, you know, I still graduated, I have to tell you, and they did save my thesis. Oh, Thank good. you. So extra thanks to those <laughs> paramedics <laughs> who, who then I wouldn't ran be and here now. So whoever yeah. they are, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they went around and dropped it off for you. But Just I mean, had a little bit of blood on it, but it was still accepted. <laughs> you know that as long as they they can read it, that's all yeah. that mattered. But I think you know that story to me is always just like you said. It can happen to anyone. You're you know you probably 
in that area, one of the most educated people on transportation safety and what can go on and paying attention and all that. But it's the other people around you that need to be educated as well. But it probably solidified your your uh, your foothold into transportation safety. I'd have to say. I mean, I just how small the world can be always just amazes me every now and then. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing it up. And I should say, of course, I was wearing a three point seat belt, and you know, luckily that goes with also, saying. you know, probably you know prevented, I mean, many more serious injuries than I would have had. So taking all your experience and, you know, you've done some, you know, all of the international work that you've done. And I know, I, I know there is no one like kind of silver bullet on, on what can be done. Um, in terms of, we'll talk highway safety for, for the last little bit here, but like, what is one of the most interesting things you've seen done either in the States or internationally that you think is a was an outside the box idea that has really taken off or, or, you know, really resonated well with the community that, that it was presented to. Is there anything that sticks out to you? I mean, I know I'm asking another loaded question, right? Yeah. Or just, or in anything actually, but I know that highway safety has been kind of, has been your focus for many years. And I just think that there are good examples across the world that, um, that we may not have seen in the United States and that may not have been seen anywhere else. Um, so I was just curious if there's one anywhere that kind of stuck out with you. Cause I know when they originally came out, uh, DUI checkpoints were, a you know, a unique thing to see in communities. Um, you know, and they kind of took off and, and are kind of the standard, the DUI checkpoints or the saturation patrols, um, which are something that, uh, um, that the NTSB recommends to, to go after, uh, impaired drivers. I know that right. that's a. You know, that was a unique thing when it came out, and it took a while to educate people on. I was just curious if in all of your work, if there was anything that stood out that another country may have done or or that may have been done in the States and mm. taken across to, to another country. Well, you know, I have to talk about something really timely, right? Sure. <laughs> that is, that's happening right now. Um, but I think, you know, I was just in a congressional testimony this week, as you know, mm-hmm. and um, people always ask, you know, there are 35,000 people uh, in the United States that die every year now. And the numbers, the trend is starting to rise. And what can we do about it? Why Why are we not doing something? And is it only because of increased vehicle mile traveled? And I suppose the simple answer to that is no, it's not only vehicle miles traveled. It is part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But in the past, if you look at 50 years ago, I mean, we were traveling less and we you know, 50,000 people were um, dying on the roads. But even as we increased our travel and more and more people were driving, more people owned cars, so there are more vehicle miles traveled, we were able to lower that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the great thing about the United States. We were, we were able to come up with innovative solutions. You know, we're able to figure out ways that we can make our cars, uh, you know, more protective of us. And we're able to make our roads, I like to say, more forgiving. Um, and we're able to change some of our behavior, mm-hmm. whether it's through laws or just change in culture. Um, you know, people don't have one for the road anymore. I mean, in yeah. general, they don't do that. I mean, that's not, you know, they may accidentally do it or they may do it, but it's not part of our culture to, you know, have alcohol, um, yeah. you know, in, you know, a cup holder as we're driving. So I think all of that has changed, and we were able to do it as a country. So it's it's all of like all of the pieces together. All yeah, of it kind it's, of yeah, it's the infrastructure, the, it's the vehicle, yeah. it's the person. But I think right now, I mean, you know, there's so many things we could do. 
But I always go back to, and um, I did mention this, but when I was younger, much younger, I was 10, I, uh, my family was also hit by uh, an alcohol-impaired oh. driver. So, uh, you know, that's a story for my mom to tell, right? Because she was driving. <laughs> but at any rate, I think that there is definitely something we can do about the 10,000 people who are dying every year because of alcohol-impaired driving. Mm. And, and I think that is the innovation that Americans, even though we may not have thought about it first, we need to embrace. Because all it is, it's very simple. It's only about separating drinking from driving. Um, it's not about drinking at all. If we mm. think about other countries that have a long history of drinking, Germany with Oktoberfest, France with all the fine wines, um, Australia, I mean, many countries, mm. Japan, um, the one thing that is different about them is that they have a lower, um, per se, uh, blood alcohol uh, concentration. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a 0.08, they have a 0.05 or lower. Um, does that make them drink less? No, because they have the same alcohol consumption um, per capita or, or higher, sometimes yeah. double, in fact, for some countries uh, than we do. But the only thing that is different with them is that they have um, a lower BAC law um, for it to be 0.05 or lower. And it seems like a simple solution but I know it's has a lot of controversy, yeah. and that's what you know that we're we're just going to have to take a good hard look at that. And states really are. And if you know if states want to use this tool, which we have recommended, NTSB has recommended a 0.05 or lower since 2013, so mm-hmm. quite a few years now. Um, I think that that's what um, that's one of the examples of some innovative yeah. actions that other countries are taking. That we should consider and that Utah, for example, has considered already this year. Yeah, it's that bold step. You know, as you said, the the fatalities on on the highway have started to go up a little bit, but they've been kind of plateaued for many years. And and what is it going to take? You know, 10,000 are from speeding, 10,000 are from alcohol impaired, and the other 10,000 are a mix of a whole bunch of different things. And so what is that bold step that we need to take? And maybe that's, you know, we've talked about the culture, how we've really, as a country, changed our culture. We don't take one for the road. And and, uh, you know, right now we're in a culture of people who are distracted. It's the phone is ubiquitous. You just have it in your hand and, you know, you don't think of it as taking your attention away from driving, but it does. Uh, there's also research out there that says that even if you have it hands free and you listen to it through Bluetooth and talk through your car, you're still um, uh, cognitively distracted, mm-hmm. uh, which is I get distracted at the simplest thing. So I can understand, you know, how that's really a thing. And you're not focusing on what you're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, everyone talks about autonomous vehicles, how they're going to come. And so we don't need to worry about any of this. I'm one of the few people who thinks that it's going to be a while till we have a fully autonomous <laughs> vehicle and we're going to have a, a long time of mixing things and, and how that's all going to work out. So I think we need to kind of deal with the behaviors and it's probably changing some of that culture. So all of those pieces go together. It's not just one thing. It's it's a whole bunch of different pieces that go to change the cultures. Right. So. And, and I'm certainly not saying that 0.05 is the only solution. Yeah. But it's yeah. one of a whole toolbox of solutions that you know, we should take advantage of. And as you said, you know, automation will probably take a while before it's perfected. But different um, parts of automation could happen earlier. I mean, things that we've recommended at the NTSB, you know, making sure that, you know, there's autonomous emergency braking or other parts where, you know, there is some automation where it 
um, takes control of the vehicle in an emergency situation, um, you know, electronic stability control. I mean, that does remove some of uh, the independence from the driver, if you want to look at it that way. But it's for a good cause. Yeah, it's a good backstep for the driver, you know. Uh, I like all the pieces. I'm a tech guy. I like all new technologies and I want to get it all. And, but it's also, I still like to drive. So, but it's a good backstop right now right. as the technology is being developed and rolled out. They're all going to be put together into, you know, the Jetsons car at some point, but we're, <laughs> we're a, a ways away from that. And, and I think we should take advantage of, of the tech that we have now and try to make the vehicle safer. Um, but speaking of vehicles and you've been at the NTSB for a while, highways is your big thing. And I know you don't want to choose, you know, just one mode as one of your favorites, but in your time here, have you had, you know, what has been the most enlightening moment for you or the most interesting, I guess, should say in looking at the other modes? Cause you know, you have a, like we've talked about a very strong background in highways, but we're all modes here at the NTSB. Um, you know, is there. What was the most interesting thing when you got here as you were getting up to speed on all the other you modes? You can't ask me to pick my favorite child. I know. I'm not, I, don't want you, I don't want you to pick a favorite mode. I don't want to say that. They're, I love all the modes. They're all, they're all my favorites. No, but you're right. I, um, I think I've learned something different from, from each of the modes. And that's one of the best things about working here at the NTSB is I get to meet all of these really talented and professional mm-hmm. and competent people who teach me about things. I mean, in aviation. You know, I got to chair uh, a couple of, uh, of board meetings related to aviation, even though that's certainly not my background. And yeah. I've learned more about ailerons than <laughs> I ever thought I would need to know. Um, but Just file very, that one away for later. Yes. But, you know, very, um, you know, it's a very technical area, aviation. And I, I've, I have even a deeper appreciation uh, for, for the work that uh, we do in aviation. I mean, certainly rail, um, you know, we've seen a lot of accidents um, in in recent years in mm-hmm. that and you know I've launched to some of those as well and uh, you know there's just a lot of different elements and more you know I have a better appreciation that so many people depend on rail I was at I was the member on scene for the Hoboken accident okay. and so many people contacted me saying I usually take that that's yeah. the route that I take I didn't take that one train um, so I think the importance of rail um, you know, I've, I've been seeing that and, and then all the complicated things with, you know, pipelines and hazardous materials yeah. too. Um, but I have to say one, the, if you have to have me pick one that I was not expecting to, um, to love as much as I do. And I love all the <laughs> modes <laughs> is, uh, Marine safety. Yeah. Um, my first big, uh, launch, my first major launch, um, on an accident investigation was for El Faro, okay. uh, which was a terrible tragedy where 33 um, lives were lost and there were 33 souls on board. And um, it was a cargo carrier that was lost during Hurricane Joaquin mm-hmm. um, between Florida and um, Puerto Rico. Okay. And, uh, you know, I grew up on the Gulf Coast, so I grew up not so far from a uh, Coast Guard base, and sure. so I was always around the ocean, but I don't think I um, realized all you know how connected the maritime community was because this this was a cargo vessel leaving from um, uh, Florida mm-hmm. and going to Puerto Rico. But you know wherever I've been, and I've gone to uh, maritime insurance conferences, I've gone up to Seattle to see the vessel traffic sure. service. I've gone to a lot of different places. I mean. 
people really know each other, and it's a very tight knit community. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot about you know all the different aspects of of marine safety, and and I appreciate that. I mean, I think um, maybe that's one of the areas that people don't always um, remember initially when yeah. they think about the NTSB, but you know we do very important accident investigations on marine safety, and we work really closely uh, with the Coast Guard and. You know, depending on who, sometimes they're sure. the uh, primary investigator, and sometimes we are. But I think that um, you know the the influence and the impact on our economy and on safety and on the environment of um, of shipping and other maritime you know uh, vessels is that that was really interesting to me to yeah. to learn about. No, I think uh, people forget how how tight or how uh, tightly we are related to our uh, marine transportation of all the goods from everywhere else, then how it sure. all ties into the rail, all of those kind of things. And um, But you mentioned kind of all the different modes and the different things that you've learned from each one. I think that's a unique aspect here at the NTSB where you can take experiences from the different modes and apply it to one. So you have a, you know, you've been working in highways and public health there, but you can take that to some of the same, you know, knowledge will translate over to aviation and some of the stuff that they may have going on there and looking at issues. And I know, uh, it goes to, uh, goes to rail as well. So while they're all different kinds of transportation modes, they're all, I mean, it, you can learn lessons, what lessons learned. We have lessons learned on Facebook. If you follow us on Facebook, (laughs) uh, you can get a good lesson learned from, from everything that applies kind of maybe to different modes. So it's always something to, we're, we're doing an investigation possibly on a rail or a, a uh, marine incident, but some of the issues may translate over, especially if it's like regarding the safety culture or something like that may translate over to the other modes. So I always, I find that part interesting. I've yeah. been here less than you have, but you know, in my short time <laughs> here, that's, that's something that I've picked up on. Yeah, no, I think, um, also to bring back to your, some of your first questions, I think that, um, because of my public health background, maybe I look at things a little bit differently um, you know, all of the board members bring their unique perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, someone told me that I was the first public health trained board member, so I'll believe them. <laughs> <laughs> if someone said it, it's right. right. You know, if it's on Wikipedia, I think that's, <laughs> that's even that's more right. true. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, part of it is that the basis, the, you know, the most important aspect of public health is prevention. You know, you always hear about these public health outbreaks, you know, people are going to investigate the Zika epidemic or, you know, um, uh, I think that, you know, in the same way, you know, we may have the most publicity related to going and investigating uh, an accident or some Mm -hmm. terrible transportation um, tragedy, but it's all of the hard work that that we and you, um, all of us do behind the scenes um, afterwards, before, yeah. during, and after, actually, um, that is going to be the most, you know, um, that's going to have the greatest impact on safety, because that's what, you know, taking all that information from, you know, the sort of more um, intense on-scene period, yeah. and then using it for prevention. I think that's sort of the long, hard slog um, that we have, that public health also has. And yeah. I, so I think there's a lot of, um, you know, parallels in that. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to someone else earlier about I think a lot of it is the culture changes and just having to be persistent in in what you're doing, you know, understanding that you have 
maybe not all the answers, but you have some ideas on how things can go and to just keep keep going forward with it. And, you know, it's, there may not be other voices talking about it. And that's, you know, the the nice thing about the NTSB is very safety focused, make our recommendations. We may be the only ones out there talking about it, but we're starting to have that conversation. We'll hopefully change minds and, you know, my kids and your kids will hopefully feel like, oh, this is just normal. You always buckle your seatbelt or, you know, mm-hmm. I always do something I should do to keep me safe. I always wear my helmet. I couldn't think I, I lost an example. I had one example with a seatbelt and then I forgot what else I was going <laughs> to say. But I think you're right. Yeah. I think the we're, you know, sometimes we're the early adopters um, because, you know, in my past life when I was at the CDC and other places, we were always looking at, you know, a thousand or 10,000 cases yeah. of something. And here it was really strange for me to come to a place where we did everything and we looked very carefully at one single case. Yeah. Um, but, that gives us the agility to be able to, you know, jump right in there and say, look, we've looked at this really carefully. This could have prevented it. Yeah. And we can make that statement or that safety recommendation early on. So I think that I think that's a really important role for us, that we can be sort of the early um, warning system yeah. for that. Well, and I think, uh, I, I mean, yeah, that's the best way to do it and, and get people really to start thinking about it and make that translation. But I was, I was thinking of, you know, looking at one case, you know, as a uh, transportation leader, you model it to other people too. And so hopefully as you go out and talk to people and share it with them, they'll then understand the importance of it and then share it with someone else. And so having those conversations, I think helps spread it. So back to the public health, it becomes viral. And yes. so this is a good, this is a good viral. Yes. This isn't a Zika <laughs> type of thing. This right. is something that we can get out there on other things. So, um, uh, but I think it's really important and, and uh, you know, appreciate everything that you brought to the, to the board. And like I said at the beginning, I've known you for many years. And so it was uh, when I got this job, my wife's like, doesn't doesn't Bella work there? I was like, actually, <laughs> yes, she does. You're going to see her in the hallway? I have no idea how any of that works. I think so. <laughs> it's not that big. It's a very small, tight-knit community. So uh, yeah, so no, it's, it's kind great, of fun. It's how, a great agency, and we're glad you're here. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here, and I'm, it's fun how everything kind of, again, small world, everything all ties together. So, but I do, I really do want to thank you for uh, lending your time and, and just sharing some of your insights on, on public health, transportation, and all the other issues that go with it. It was, I found it very interesting, and I'm pretty sure our listeners did too. If you didn't find it interesting, don't let me know. But if you liked it, follow <laughs> us on Twitter and give us your points of view that way. But um, again, I really appreciate you uh, you're sharing your points of view and talking with us. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us behind the scene. And uh, thank you very much. Until next time. Bye. Bye.